the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. And I know that wherever you are right now, you're responding in the way that Christ followers have for 2,000 years. He is risen indeed. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. The Nazis had really required that you believe in the supernatural because they believed that this Hertz Wetzel, the one who had wrote the anthem to the Nazis, when he died, was resurrected, and he was on high developing an army of, I guess, heavenly stormtroopers. And so he asserted that this young man had joined Hertz Wetzel. Well, Paul Robert Snyder did not like that. So he responded with these words, No one will rival the risen Lord Jesus here in this place. That led to his arrest. Eventually, intimidation, humiliation, imprisonment. He was released for a season, but continued to preach the risen Christ. And eventually, his life was taken by lethal injection. You would think that's the end of the story, but it's not. Because it was found out that he had written six letters, letters to his children. In one of those letters, he wrote these words, Christ may not be seen in every deed, but he's present in every hour. Because he is the risen Lord. He is with us now. That's a message of the resurrection. It's not just about eternal significance. It's about daily consequence. The resurrection of Jesus affects you right here, right now. I believe that's why Jesus said in that seventh saying of his, I am the resurrection and the life. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about this. He says, he moved resurrection out of the statement of faith into a person, out of the future and into the present. Christianity is not just a religion or or a statement of faith. Christianity is Christ. It's all about Jesus. And here's what I want you to know this Easter weekend. Jesus is present right here, right now. And you see that as you look at these I am statements of Jesus. We've looked at seven of them. Today is the seventh. Jesus first said, I am the bread of life. He was saying, I'm your source. I'm your satisfaction. I'm your salvation right here, right now. He would say, I am the light of the world. Why? Because he wants to form us. He wants to fill us. He wants to make darkness flee from us right here, right now. Jesus said, I am the door. Why? Because he wanted to give us entrance into God's presence. He wanted to give us access to an abundant life. Not someday, but right here, right now. Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd. I know you. I know everything about you, your name, your nature, your deepest needs, even right here, right now. 
I am the way, he would say, the truth and the life, because he gives us a pathway filled with promise, and he gives us peace even in the midst of difficult circumstances. That means for you and I, right here, right now. And then Jesus would say, I am the true vine. Why? Because he wants us connected to him. Because when we're connected to Jesus, our lives bear fruit for his glory. Jesus gave us these statements so that we could know he is our right here, right now, God. He was, he is, he forevermore shall be. And that's at the core of this last statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Look with me in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. You recognize these names. Those of us that know scripture know that this was the Mary who would anoint Jesus' feet with her perfume. And this is Mary and Martha. One was busy in the kitchen. The other was spending time with Jesus. These were close friends. Notice what happens. The sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love, is ill. Think about that for a moment. They sent a message to Jesus. If you could send a text message to Jesus right now, what would it be? What would you say to him? Oh God, I need you. Get here quick. That's not what they said. They didn't appeal to Lazarus's problem. They dealt with Jesus's passion. In this moment of crisis, they appealed to his compassion. Now that needs to tell you something. Your life, even in a moment of crisis, captures the concentration of Jesus. He cares about what you're facing. Notice how this passage continues. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed there two days longer in that place where He was. I laugh because that's a passage hard to understand. Even as I read the word, Jesus loved them. So he just kind of waited. He wasn't ready to respond to their needs. Why in the world would we have that description of what Jesus did in this passage of scripture? I think there's some things we want to learn from the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This very familiar passage of scripture. Here's the first thing. When Jesus is involved, waiting is never wasted. Your waiting time is never wasted time. Why is that? I think it's for this reason. When Jesus is involved, he wants us to understand that if we will see our lives through the filter of God's glory, everything will be changed. Do you look at your life Asking this question, am I giving glory to Jesus? Is my life glorifying God? As hard as it is to digest, Jesus was saying, my design for you is greater than your desire. Have you embodied that in your life? Are you allowing Jesus to work in and through you so that he might be glorified? Jesus said, I'm going to wait so that the Father may be glorified in this moment. But there's another reason. I want you to see the other reason. Let's continue reading. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. 
Now, Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. So I think Jesus probably just sighed here. <sighs> Once again, the boys don't get it. The disciples do not understand. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, you knuckleheads. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe. Now the disciples respond. In fact, it goes on to say that Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us then go so that we may die with Jesus also. In other words, okay, Jesus, you're going to this place where we know they want to arrest you. You know they want to kill you, but you're going because of your friend. We'll go with you. But they missed what Jesus had said. Jesus had said, I'm going there so that you might believe. Sometimes those waiting moments in our life are allowed by God so that our faith might grow. Uh, Look at your life right now, your little corner of the world. Is there anything you're going through that God could be allowing for the growth of your faith? God isn't always going to answer our prayers in the way that we expect. Sometimes God answers in ways greater than what we could have imagined. That's what was taking place here. God already knew what was going to take place. Jesus already knew his plans, but it wasn't plans for a healing. It was plans for a resurrection. Their faith needed to grow. We've had moments like that, haven't we? Moments like Mary and Martha where we wondered if Jesus was going to respond to our needs. Notice what happens next. Look at verse 17. When Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been to the tomb for four days. Now, this is significant because in ancient Jewish custom, they believed that for the first three days, the soul would come back to the dead body, kind of check things out, and consider whether or not it was going to re-inhabit the dead body. It was now the fourth day. The body had already begun to disfigure. No chance of life. Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection on that last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus was saying, Martha, you don't need what I can do. Martha, you need who I am. You don't need the answer to your deepest desires, you need me. Do you believe this? Jesus asked her. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God, who's coming into the world. Boy, we've all had moments like that, haven't we? Like Martha in verse 21, Lord, if you would have been here, if this would have happened or if that would have happened, we go through life with a lot of ifs, but in this if, she was pointing the finger Squarely at Jesus. Maybe you've done that. Oh, God, where were you when I was abused? God, where were you when I went through my divorce? God, where were you when I lost everything I have? If you had been there. And in answer to this question, Jesus says, I am. 
Don't miss this. As we've been studying these statements of Jesus, we've been declaring this truth. I am changes who I am. When I understand who he is, it it changes who I am. And in this moment, Jesus answering the question, if you had been here, says, I am. It's the same words that we find uh, God saying to Moses at the burning bush. In the Greek Septuagint, it's it's described this way, ego eimi. Same words that Jesus utters. He says, I was, I am, I forevermore shall be. In other words, Martha, I was here, I am here, I'll forever be here. Then he asked, do you believe this? And you and I have to answer that question. Do I believe that Jesus is my right here, right now, God? Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Well, before we move on, this, this passage teaches us another important truth about those waiting times. I want you to get this today. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. God always answers our prayers. You know that, right? Sometimes God says, yes, you got it. Sometimes he says, no, not a chance. And at other times God says, wait, because I've got something better. I've got something coming your way that's going to give me greater glory. It's going to grow your faith. And it's going to allow us to go forward for the better. God's design is always better than our desire. But the story continues. Look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in place where Martha had met him. We weren't surprised earlier to see Martha running to Jesus. She always does that. But now Mary has run to meet him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Hey, a side point here. She fell at her feet. Worry always breeds fear and distance us from Jesus. But worship always draws us close. Mary falls, as it falls at his feet, but then she says the same thing. We can all relate to this. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And and Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So everybody's upset by this. And he says, where have you laid him? Is this because he didn't know? 
No, Jesus knew where the body was. But sometimes God wants us to process in the midst of where we are, where he is. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, maybe the shortest verse in scripture, one we can all memorize, very important verse, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. You can't read this story without seeing and sensing the love of Jesus for Mary and Martha and for Lazarus. But you can't read this story without seeing and sensing that God has that same kind of love for you. And that really leads us to the second truth. When Jesus is involved, our our waiting is not wasted. But when Jesus is involved, our weeping is never wasted. You've gotten so discouraged, so depressed. You you face those difficult and those down times. and, And you've wondered if God was there and if God cared. And the answer is yes. In fact, did you know the Bible says in Psalm 56, 18, you have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God feels your pain. He keeps track of your tears. Jesus wasn't weeping because of the sadness of Lazarus' death. He was going to take care of that. Jesus was weeping because his friends were hurting it's these days as I've watched my ailing dad nearing death, it seems like day by day. I can't talk to him or be around him without tears coming to my mind. But as those tears begin to roll, it's not because of what he is facing. His eternal reward is waiting for him. No, my tears are my sadness. It's because of what I know my mom is experiencing. For all of us who love him dearly, And you have a heavenly father who loves you, who knows what you're facing. He cares about everything in your life. Why? Because he is your right here, right now, God. Don't miss this on Easter weekend. Jesus is your right here, right now, God. Jesus has already answered two of the biggest life questions. Can God help me? Does he have the power? Does God really care? Does he have compassion? But before we end our time together this weekend, I I want you to see not only is your waiting never wasted, not only is your weeping never wasted. Uh, According to this passage, when Jesus is involved, his words are never wasted. The word of God is powerful. In the beginning of the Bible, it tells us that God spoke creation into existence. In the beginning of John, we're told that Jesus is the word. And now with his words, Jesus demonstrates the power over life and death. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. That word deeply group moved, it it kind of speaks to a grunting horse. I mean, there's a guttural passion. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. (laughs) The King James Version said, he stinketh. And maybe you hear that word and you think, man, there are some things in my life that stinketh. 
Maybe your marriage stinketh. Maybe your career stinketh. Maybe your educational pursuits stinketh. And you're wondering if things stink so badly, can God really do anything? So Mary says, come on, Jesus, he stinks. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've already heard me. And then it's like he may have kind of whispered to his heavenly father, I know you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around so that they may believe you've sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. When Jesus is involved, words are never wasted. Let me give you four words or really four phrases that Jesus uttered that I think change everything. The first one is this, take away the stone. That's kind of a peculiar phrase that Jesus gave us there. Why? I think Jesus is reminding us that there are some things that he could do that he chooses not to do. Sometimes God allows us to do the things we can do so that he's freed up to do those things in our life that only he can do. Some of you are looking at your life right now and you're saying, God, if you did this, if you did that, and I believe the first thing he would say to you is move the stone. Do those things that you have the ability, you have the skill to do. But then there's a second phrase. The second phrase is this, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus come out. Someone said, it's a good thing that Jesus called his name. If not, every dead body in the graveyard would have risen. That's true. And the truth is, the Bible says that one day that is what's going to happen. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Hey, make no mistake, the miracle of Easter is not about the resurrection of Lazarus. The miracle of Easter is that the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, would die on a cross. He would be buried in a tomb, and he would become the only person in human history to raise himself from the dead. And because of his resurrection, because of the life that he enjoyed, you and I can experience life. The Bible says that one, t- one day this same Jesus is coming again and everyone who's ever lived throughout history who has begun a relationship with Jesus Christ will be raised once and for all. And just like Jesus had that glorified body, we'll have glorified bodies in eternity with him. The greatest miracle that Jesus ever does is to offer us a life that death cannot defeat. I need to just take a minute and tell you I've experienced that life. Have you? It was when I was a young boy that I knelt down in my backyard. I hadn't had a lot of sin in my life, at least not the grievous kinds that you and I think of. I was raised in church in a pastor's home. So I like to say I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church Sunday night, Sunday morning, Monday night, Wednesday night. All of my life I was at church. But as a young boy, I recognized that I was a sinner and that that sin, if left undealt with, would keep me from God's promise of heaven and it would keep me from experiencing all that he had enjoyed for my life right here. So 
So I knelt there in my backyard and I confessed my sin to God. I told him, I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross and I believe that you're alive today and I want you to come into my heart and live. You know what that meant? Because I made that decision as a young boy, because Jesus came into my life. That meant as I would go through life and face illness or face a serious car accident or face uncertainty that I didn't understand, I could count on the fact that I need not fear, even death because I had been changed by Jesus Christ. How about you? Do you fear death? You know, because I made that decision as a young boy in the backyard of my house, because I asked Christ to come in and take control of my life, no matter what I've faced, I've known that He holds my future. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.